I gotta preach, so, um, but um, sometimes my dad used to say when he shouted, he said, son, sometimes it gets like that. (laughs) That's just such a good old school answer uh, that when you think about um, the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross, taking on what we deserved and getting blasted, taking the fall in heaven's courtroom a booming reality for us to embrace. And so that's why we say we nail our glory to the cross because Paul says, I count all things but loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ as my Lord. <laughs> all right, I, got, I can't go there, but um, it's just beautiful to know that losses in God's eyes are really gains, not losses. Um, that's why Paul says, I have to change my value system. And because many of us keep score according to the flesh and not according to the spirit, we only see the loss as a loss. But those who have had their mind rewired and reshaped by the paradoxical realities of the gospel know that a loss on earth is a, is a gain in heaven. And so uh, that's, that's just the reality of it. Uh, I got to move. All right. Um, Man, uh, I'm, I'm excited about the youth conference. How many are you excited about that? Excited about that. Um, we're expecting about 300 youth from around uh, uh, our, uh, in the Delaware Valley to roll through. We, um, also, we're working in about six or seven schools in the area. And so um, the APB is out uh, for this. And so we're excited that schools are partnering with us um, to be able to help us to be able to serve our youth in a, um, in a fantabulous way. So keep that lifted up. For those of you who remember, don't forget the Frequency Conference is in a few weeks, and we will be engaging and contending for the faith. We're going to be at the convention center. It's going to be pandemonium. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for the pandemonium of being able to be a viable representative for Jesus and learning how to do that. Y'all ready for that? Yeah. Amen. And then, um, and then also giving. You know we're not money hungry. We don't do 15 offerings and all of that. But we, we have $45,000 deficit to do what we need to do in relation to our work in Malawi. We want to continue that more deeply. Um, not only our work in Malawi, but also the works we're doing in schools, um, our youth ministry, uh, basketball leagues coming up in a few months. We will be serving 200 youth a week, so we got to have for that. We have the four church plants we've already planted, and then next the three, and uh, then just all of the other things that we have to do household keeping-wise and futuristically of being able to be able to expand what God has called us to do. So um, all I want to say is just put something in the plate. Go online, give, give generously, and we'll be real, real happy to see more ministry get done. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet. Let's get it. Uh, we're, in, uh, we're in Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. When, uh, took, remember, we've taken a break from our series on keeping it 100 out of 2 Corinthians, and now we're, gonna, we're in the Woke Church series, if you will. You know how we do. On three, start. One, two, three, go. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill, and you come in, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straightening out the net, and swallowing the camel. 
Amen. In this uh, second installment of our series on Woke Church, I want to tag our text today. What does Jesus have to say about justice? What does Jesus have to say about justice? Let's get it. Father, we thank you for regeneration, and that's been proclaimed by the church. Uh, proclaiming the gospel in such a way where people go from spiritual death to spiritual life uh, by faith in what you've done. So that, that's a big deal. The challenge, though, Lord God, um, for us and the challenge that we need to do is the block needs to see the internal transformational realities of the church spill onto the block. Um, as gunshots spill on the block, as fighting spills on the block, as trash spills on the block, we should be a sweeping mechanism uh, for your glory and honor and praise. And so, God, lo lock and load us with the nutrition of the kingdom so that we can be who you've called us to be, to be able to execute the fantabulous realities of heaven on earth. Now, one day, Lord, I just pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. amen, amen. You may be seated. Jesus on justice. What does Jesus have to say about justice? Um, in, 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 in the framework of what is happening in our world, there is a necessity that the church say something. Um, there, uh, and, and I think that in, in what's going on, the church is saying conflicting things. Um, and in saying these conflicting things, it's caused a confusion versus consolation. It's caused more damage than development. It's caused more need for surgery than sanctification. And so there needs to be with us uh, a, 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 a unified uh, disposition that helps us to know what in the world is the church supposed to be doing in relation to police brutality, uh, in relation to racial injustice, inequities in our school system. And, and, and in other words, we, we must see the nature of the fact that Christ's death on the cross impacts not only us going to heaven, but us being heaven here. Oh, y'all not going to talk back. Y'all going to be like the first service. That's all right. I'm used to it. Let's get it. Um, and, so, and, so, and, so, and so what we need to be is men and women multi-ethnically must see the racial issue in our country as not a black issue, uh, but see it as a kingdom issue. And because if the church sees it as only a black issue, then you will tuck it in the niche of one of the things that the church should be doing versus one of the things that the church should be doing. So we come to a text in the book of Matthew. As you know, uh, the book of John is about Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, uh, that's what the writer is laying out. Then we look at uh, 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 Luke, who points to him as the Son of Man. And then we look at Mark, who points to him as the suffering servant. But here, uniquely nestled in this pericope is the reality of the broader scope of Matthew, which is about Jesus Christ, the messianic king of Israel. Uh, um, um, in, in other words, he's, he's not only king of a nation, he's king of the universe. And so what this progressive reality is shocking about the book is that God was willing to die on the cross for man. However, he wasn't scared of getting grimy on the block, though. See, the Jesus that's in the scriptures was a brown-skinned, probably, uh, uh, woolly-haired dude on the block that was willing to chop it up, you know, with anybody, whether you're dirty or you're nice-looking. He didn't let nice-lookingness attract him to you because he saw your soul. And so, and so, so no matter how cute you dress yourself up, no matter how fly your shape up is, no matter whether you floss your teeth or you got halitosis, he's still getting your grill and talk to you. 
right? And so Jesus here is like in this section where he's going ham, because he's like, I'm about to die anyway, so I might as well, I might as well just let it all hang out, you know what I'm saying? I've been talking smack this whole time, but I'm really gonna amp up the turn up meter on how I spew uh, eternal realities to foolishness. Now, um, in, in this passage, it has, a, it, it, it has a prophetic edge to it, not a pathetic edge to it. In other words, as he begins through Matthew 23 to 27, really given a, uh, not a philosophical framework, but a theological framework that's a tour de force for what it's like to be a kingdom representative. This is the book in the New Testament that uses the word kingdom more than any other book in the New Testament. And as you know, kingdom means God's comprehensive rule over everything. That, that means just, just like, just like, just, just like uh, uh, the old hip hop song, so cash rules everything around me. Nah, God rules everything around you, fam. And so in light of God ruling everything around you, because God rules everything, you may not notice it, but he's there providentially working in the seams and working and bending around the frustrations and the injustices of our society. However, he wants us to be the hands and feet of himself on planet earth. And so in being the hands and feet of him on planet earth, we're called to be an overt, not covert witness. In other words, believers aren't called to be secret agent suckers. All right, we're not, we're not called to that. We're, we're called to be like, I'm not, I'm not talking about being jerky, right? Like you're the Bible jerk. Uh, they sees a devil under everything. See, I saw you, devil. I rebuke you right now. Get back under there, right? And so get that for me, son. And so what we see right here, what we see right here is a beautiful reality. Is Jesus willing to engage? So I got one point and one point only. You can write it down if you want to. Jesus connects justice to intimacy with God. Jesus connects the doing of justice to intimacy with God. Now this is for all you Christians that like to read the latest Christian book, you know, an intimacy book, you know, the top 10, you go to COC or, you know, or wherever you go, you out of the city, you go to Lifeway or Family Christian or somewhere, and you're like, I want something that I can fill in my spirit that can be a blessing to me. And, and what, we, what we're really wanting is we want the fuzzy wuzzy you know what I'm saying? Cuddle cushion. Oh, I just felt God's presence. You know what I'm saying? He with me in the atmosphere and all that. But sometimes being with God is about wrestling with stuff that he doesn't like. Be, be, listen, being with God, being with God ain't always the, the, the tear coming down your face. And you know, you set up your book real nice and then you, you set it up so you could take a picture. My time of God, right? And, 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 and the Sermon on the Mount was said, and you had your reward in full. That's your reward. Your reward was them likes, right? And so we come here to this prophetic, not pathetic passage where Jesus is, he starts off foretelling to foretelling. What he does is he start off letting the people of God know what's going on. That's what I like about Jesus. Jesus was up on what was going on in the streets. And because he was up on that, he could speak to it in a way that reflects, he knowing that it's going on, but to be able to give a relevant eternal perspective on it. So we come here to the first word in the, um, in, in the verse, and it says, whoa. Somebody say, whoa. whoa. Now, this ain't talking about your woes, right? That's not what it's talking about. You know what I'm saying? I know some of my woes. Nah, that's, Jesus didn't know nothing about that, all right? He's talking about if this woe is different. This is the prophetic woe that's usually used by the prophets as a way to talk about pending judgment because of the lack of response or rejection that's being experienced by the Lord. Yeah. 
So when you go back in the Old Testament, even if you get a concordance, you go anywhere where woe is, you need to say woe. Because it's a very, very scary thing that when God begins to say, what I've said to you, I'm about to bring to account on you. And so what, what, what's happening here is Jesus, in the same spirit of the prophets, is bringing those Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah woes to um, actually the leadership. What, what does it say here? It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. Right? Now, you got to understand who the scribes were. The scribes were the lawyers. These were the Michael Jordans of the scriptures. All right? They transmitted the scriptures to make sure that as it was copied and interpreted, it was done with meticulous clarity and, 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 and that it was written out in a way that reflects how it was in the original manuscripts over and over and over again. And then they were the scribes who were to teach Israel, right? But the, which Ezra was one of them uh, back in the Old Testament or Tanakh, right? And so we see um, that the Pharisees were a new group of people that, was a, that actually started off as a good group that wanted, that actually is, a lot of people believe that where um, uh, John the Baptist was, and this for free, out in the desert, was actually what's called the Qumran community, which developed the formation of the Pharisees, which actually came from those who were separating themselves from Israel as monks because they were frustrated with the way that Israel wasn't properly walking with God. But when they came back, they, they didn't see. So what happens is, is stuff always starts all purely. And then it becomes an elitist disposition. And so now they came back to Israel and you know what I'm saying? They had all these fly gear on and you know, they all, they carrying scrolls and got stuff all on their forehead. They got scriptures and they walking around just judging people. Just judging people. I know that don't sound familiar to today because nobody does that today in our culture. But they're, they're, all they want to do is they want to snoop around with their glasses on their nose to see whether or not you're doing what God is, you're supposed to do in God's eyes, but not look at themselves to see what they're supposed to do in God's eyes. And so he says, woe to you hypocrites. Now, hypocrite is interesting. Now, I know that's a popular word, right? But hypocrite is the word that means actor. In, in the Greek here. It means actor. Like, I don't, uh, like, they don't do this no more, but back in the day, like in the 80s, 70s, and 80s, you know, it'd be dudes, they put a little chest out or a little, you know what I'm saying, a little hat out, and they would put on like some white gloves and put on all black, paint their face white and little, some little red around it and paint their lips, and then they'd be going like this all outside, you know what I'm saying, and they, they were called pantomimes. In other words, they were acting like they were doing something with something that's not really there. And then, but, but then, you know, in pantomimes in the church now, it's the people that do the songs and, you know, going all like that, you know what I'm saying? You know? <laughs> if you're a pantomime, I ain't hating. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> we'll come back to that in another sermon. Um, but anyway, so, so, so Jesus Christ gets, like Jesus was bold. Now, he only got 12 people with him. He rose up on a fleet of cats. Whoa, scribes and Pharisees. <laughs> Hypocrites. You got to understand, like, he's crazy. Like, this is crazy. Like, nobody rose. See, that's the job with the Jesus that's with the blonde hair, blue eye, and he running, hitting daffodils, <laughs> and he going like this, and, you know, he hugging Peter and doing the smooches and all of that. Like, that's, that's not the Jesus in the book. Jesus was a ferocious dude standing grill to grill with religious people and people that didn't like God. So here we go. So Christ, Christ is standing here chopping it up with the Pharisees, getting it in, right? It's crazy. So, so he's engaging them and challenging them to their face. 
Now he calls them hypocrites because he says, you're acting like you're doing the will of God, but you're not. In other words, you have the appearance of godliness, but you deny the power. And so what's happening is, is it's possible to know all the right podcasts, have the best study Bible, uh, to have the best programs. And it's, it's, it's possible uh, to have the biggest Bible tucked under your arm. It's possible to know all the old hymns and to be able to go from denomination to denomination and know the songs and relate. But at the end of the day, there can be soul anemia in the midst of your aptitude of Christianity. And so, and so, and so he says something powerful here. Now, he says, you tithe, look at what he says. He says, you tithe um, mint, dill, and cumin. Why would he say that? This is nuts. Now, the Pharisees, like, had laws for laws, meaning laws to keep the law. So they would judge you based on the laws that they created that were adjacent to the law that made sure that you were keeping the law based on their view of you keeping the law. So what they would do... <clears throat> is they would get their crops in. So, the, I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the Pharisees had dough, right? It, they, were, they were rich. They would get their crops of dill and cumin and, 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 and mint, and they would weigh out everything to the seeds to make sure that they were giving an exact tenth to the Lord. Now, this is what's funny about this. See, Jesus is like an MC, okay? Be- like, if, if there was a line of historical MCs that were the best lyricists. Jesus' double entendre disposition here would rival Nas, Biggie. Um, it wouldn't uh, rock him. That's before some of y'all. You understand what I mean? Cool Mo D. Uh, uh, oh, I can keep going. But um, like, like, like it, it, would, it would rival them, right? Because he loses double entendre here. Now, he took, he, he could have named a lot of things, oxen, cattle, but he named the lightest weight spices to let them know that you're meticulously committed to lightweight stuff. When there are bigger issues to be dealt with. Now, that's, that's, some, that's like fly. Now, what he's saying is, is that you're, 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 you're traveling in minutia to the point of ineffectiveness for seeing the bigger picture of things. Let me see if I can make a plan. You know, we, we in the church, we arguing about tongues and the filling of the Holy Spirit, the role of women in ministry, whether we should be in a house or a building. And I'm like, church government. I'm like, the world looking at us like, I don't know what none of that is. What is a tongue? What is discernment? What they arguing about that discernment? Like, I thought, all, I mean, they, they, we're looking foolish, right? Because we're arguing about trivial things. Then when we say justice, they're like, what would you say? The church says justice? And in other words, what Jesus does here is Jesus says, these things are lightweight. Now, he's not dogging them for wanting to have meticulous commitment to the law. That's not what he's doing. What he is saying is, is he say, be consistent with how meticulous you are. Yeah about the things that make you look good to the things that may get you dirty. <laughs> see, we don't, see, see what I'm saying? I'm saying? We don't like to get dirty as the church. We like to, we like to do the stuff that make us look good. You know what I'm saying? We, we like to do the stuff that get us likes, you know what I'm saying? And some shares. But, but we don't like to do stuff that's minuscule, that's unpostable. See, you know you're walking with God when most of the stuff you walk with God through, you don't post about. So, 
some, some, stuff, some stuff you just need to keep between you and him, right? And so, and so cause some stuff you really want to keep between you and him. Um, but, he's, but, he said, but he says, he said, but you have neglected, check this out, the weightier matters of the law. In other words, what's interesting is the weightier matters of the law don't have physical form, but they're more heavy than the lightest thing that's physical under the law. Did you get that? And so, and so he, he's talking about its weight is not based on its corporeal formality. He, he, said, he said the weightiness of it is how close does it burn in the heart of God. See, 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 and so, and so he, says, he said, these are the things you've neglected, homie. He said, number one, you, 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 you have neglected justice. Now, justice here is interesting because some translations will translate it judgment, which is a good translation. Um, and, and, so, and so what we see here is, in other words, is making equitable decisions based on God's word. The word here for justice is where we get our word crisis from. That's the Greek word for it. it's crisis, right? And so it's as a standard by which judgments and evaluations are made. So equitable treatment of all people and proper unbiased application of God's word. So, so, so listen to me. This is the important thing believers must recognize about justice. Justice is not based on the Constitution. Y'all got to hear me on this. Y'all, y'all, I mean, please don't hear me. Uh, listen, it's not based on the amendments. If you start there, you've missed it. Justice starts with God. See, let me just give you a quick little something for free. Justice is God's disposition when his holiness is properly respected or violated. When his holiness is violated, hallelujah, he will judge and uh, not only critique but challenge unless he provides a redemptive format, or if you did something well, he will reward you for that. That's what justice does, but his nature is justice. And then he has a just gospel, which we'll talk about in a second. So when we look here and we talk about this idea of, 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 of framing this idea of justice and proper execution of the heart of God, is justice is not based on uh, man's law, it starts with God's. So therefore, that's why if, if, if the law system does something that's not compatible with God's system, you have the right, whether they give you the freedom or not, to protest it. Yes, yes. It's all good. Um, 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 and, and, so, and so that means you can protest it and speak against it. That means that whenever man's law tries to act bigger than God's law, you should think less of your life and more of the eternal rights of heaven. That means that, that means that you got to be willing to make some sacrifices to display the mysteries of the kingdom in the midst of not being politically right. And so justice, justice is Jesus says you haven't done it, uh, haven't done any type of justice. And, 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 and it's so many passages on it I can go through. Leviticus 19, 15, it says, you shall do no injustice in court. This is in the Bible. And you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. Deuteronomy 1.17, look at it. You shall, you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone for the judgments of God. 
Look at verse uh, Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods. I like this, and Lord of lords. What does that mean? Reason why he says that, that's why cats, they go in the scriptures, you get on the block, they say, man, the Bible says we all are gods. Well, if you look at the passage, it's talking actually about sovereignty that God has distributed to political authorities. And so you function under God's ruling sovereignty to utilize your position to be a voice and executor of what he wants you to do. God says he's God of gods. And so he says, when I give away sovereignty, I distribute sovereignty, listen, for you to properly utilize in reflection of me, or I take a note of it because one day Christ is gonna come back and he's gonna take many diadems away. I don't know if you remember Revelation, but it says, and one who's sitting on a horse, he has many diadems. In other words, what Christ is gonna come back and do is he's gonna take back his sovereignty that was distributed, and 1 Corinthians 15 says he's gonna unify it into one diadem, which is, a, which, is, which, is, which is his eternal fitted, his crown, and he's gonna hand it back over to God the Father to rule everything. So when God, so when God says, I'm God of gods, this is crazy, he's saying like, you're accountable to me. Right? And he's saying, great, the great and the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He said, I got everything, so there's nothing you can give me to make me turn my head your way. Right? Deuteronomy 16, 19, you shall not pervert justice. You shall show no partiality. And you shall not accept a bride, for the bribe, of bl- bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of righteousness. Romans 2, 11. For God shows no partiality. Let's look at this. Let's look at a few things. When we look at this, what issues are in our society that shows that we are functionally in an unjust society? Whiteness is a creation of the United States. I ain't getting no amens on that part. Yeah, I knew I wasn't. Um, whiteness was, was never a part of Europeans' philosophy of how they thought of themselves. They thought of themselves as different countries and different clans. Now, what happened is, is when, 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 when blacks were brought here first in 1619 uh, for the first, as slaves, we came here before that, that's another lesson, but in 1619, um, when we were brought here as slaves, what happened was, is as there was a progression in America in order to control blacks and control whites who weren't in the middle upper class of society, they took the Italians and the Jews and the Polish and the Irish and formed them into a community and called them whites and allowed them opportunities to build wealth. And so whiteness and racial difference was a creation of the United States. And so that legacy has weaved itself into the legacy of how everything was done and how the Constitution was formed and how the, the, the revolution was fought and how civil war was done and how every single war was fought. But not only that, we see some interesting, even in relation to what we should be thinking about in our country as it relates to this. Even when we look at Philadelphia and we see uh, money for schools, 23 schools were cold closed three years ago. A $314 million deficit, they said, that the city was in in relation to schools, but then right after that, they made legislation to build a $400 million prison. Now, now some, somebody gonna say, what's the stats? Boom, okay, you want the stats. 91% of the people impacted by those 23 schools closed were poor African-Americans and Latinos. So now you're gonna push them all into a bunch of schools together, and then 
opposing neighborhoods and blocks where cats don't like each other and put them in a school and expect them to act right. Where, where they're undereducated and underengaged. Oh, that one don't get you. Um, that one don't get you. It's gone in, in five years, the percentage of the same crime offenses by a black and a white person has gone to 10% more than a white for blacks to 60% more of a harsher sentence for the same crime. Study done by University of Michigan. Real, real powerful. And when people are down on this reality of the challenges of why black people are where they are in our country, it's because every chance that this country got to disturb the building of wealth in black communities, they destroyed it. Yeah. If you, if you look at, if you look it up, you look it up, if you look at Rosewood, if you look at, I couldn't even watch the movie. That was an all black town that was destroyed because of jealousy. If you look at Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1919, and you go look that up, you go look up Black Wall Street where there were black millionaires, and the whites said that somebody raped a black woman, and so the whites came in and mobbed and put blacks into concentration camps for eight, eight days displaced them. Look at the riots of Chicago. I can keep going. Every time that there were blacks trying to build wealth, and they said, well, blacks, why don't you pull yourself up under your own bootstraps? Well, stop putting your foot on the neck of people who are building wealth. You didn't do that to the Italians. Listen, I'm going to say this. The reason why there's a Pats and a Geno's in this city, that is the staple of Philadelphia. When black people cook too, I mean, I mean, I'm just saying, like, when are we going to wake up to something's wrong with America? And let me just say this. This is not a black issue. This is a kingdom issue. And let me tell you something, my white brothers and sisters. I want to applaud those of you who joined the church. I want to applaud you. I want to applaud. I want to applaud those of you who I, knew, I know with your white privilege, it was hard to come to North Philly. Y'all can be quiet if you want to. We can laugh, breathe. It's, come to North Philly, 90% black folk, okay? A lot of black people coming to an African-American-led black church by a bald head, bearded dude with a joshiki on. I want to commend you. But I want to send a challenge also to those who are serial attenders. You know, every time we get into a race series, the whites kind of tiptoe until we get back into the regular series. I want to challenge you to stay through it all. I want to challenge you to not show multi-ethnicity on Sunday. But then when it's time to engage face-to-face in small groups, and in men's ministry, and in women's ministry, and in other opportunities, there's a deficit. And then I want to challenge the black person that's always worried about how whites are feeling. See, that's the slave mentality that was passed down. I'm going to just say it. It's a slave mentality. Every time there's a challenge prophetically, oh, I wonder how the white folk are feeling. I don't know. The Bible, we don't, no, the Bible, we don't ever care about, we care about consolation and reconciliation, but I'm not doing a bunch of, I, I, I spent years here tiptoeing over issues and I'm sick of it. You understand? You understand? Well, let me just tell you something. Let me tell you something. 
my soul can't take it. My wife knowing our marriage. If we have an issue, I want to talk about it right away. <laughs> so to go years like, ah, like taking medicine, popping pills, like anxiety and carrying on. I got to talk about it. So we, we got to talk. And we got to, and, and, and listen, whites, we're trying to talk redemptively. So don't, don't get mad like Pastor E trying to do race baiting. How are we race baiting and we're living in a country that's built its foundation of everything on race? Let me just give you one last fact. If you look at the formation of how police were formed in this country, the police department was formed based on slaves being policed by non-deputied whites on horses with dogs to keep them controlled. So if they ran, they were brought back and their leg was sawed off. Or leg, foot was sawed off. And were, and were used as the retribution to beat African Americans in front of other slaves to communicate something to other slaves not to do so that it could spread throughout the slave system. Oh, you thought it was just slavery, post-slavery, Jim Crow, it was even amped up. And then, remember those same people that I told you that got to build wealth in their neighborhoods and blue-collar neighborhoods? Those same whites, those Irish, those Italians, and those Polish, all of those different folks were, now became the formation of the police department, the fire department, and, and that legacy of the way blacks related to police was hand down functionally to them during that time. So whenever you see an unarmed black man are shot in cold blood and murdered and then paid by the taxes of the person that has a job that got arrested to be on administrative leave for murdering him, and then you tell me that we're not in a racist country, I have a problem with that. Every, every American black person since slavery has been trained how to deal with police. That legacy has passed down to the point to when we see, when we see a guy laying in the hot sun for four hours after he's shot, that's a public lynching in our eyes. That, that, when you see it over and over and over, I got to watch black men being killed and I'm raising three black boys. I'm sitting at the table talking to my son like, this is how you get on your knees and I'm about to break down crying because I don't know if it's going to work. See, 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 we have to be in dialogue. We got to get on the block and start talking to the dudes in the V-necks uh, and, and Butter Tims and jeans and hearing their stories. Hearing the young single moms that you put on blast. That's why I ain't allow you to go on the prayer walk. God touch these single moms. That's so paternalistic and so whack. How dare you raise the voice to pray for their sins publicly? That is not how we operate. We're not a judgmental community. We're called to do what's next. He says, you have, you have not done justice, and he said, you haven't done mercy. Now, Jesus expected them, based on the law, their knowledge of the law, to know what mercy was. And the question was, where does mercy show up the most in the, New, in the Old Testament? It shows up in relation to the Ark of the Covenant. Now, when you look at the Ark of the Covenant, when it was in the tent of meeting, it was in the holiest of holy, covered. But then eventually when Solomon's temple and the second temple period uh, during Habakkuk, uh, Haggai's time was uh, uh, put into a holiest of holies, right? Um, you have 
inside the top of the ark, when you take the top off of it, you have the, the testimony, which is the word of God in there. Then you put the top on it and two long-winged cherubim cover the entire ark. The role of cherubim is two things. They are worshipers and they're warriors. How do I know they're warriors? Because when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, a cherubim with a flaming sword was standing at the garden. And see, heaven ain't got no punks in it, man. And he's standing there like this. Cherubim ain't an angel. He's a di- God had to create a different designation of eternal beings that weren't angels to be warriors. So he's standing up posted at the Garden of Eden still since the beginning of time. Then you got cherubim that are worshipers. Now, why is this important? Because they're covering something. In other words, everything under the wings of the cherubim is to be protected. Now, at the top of, on top of the, the uh, on top of the, it's called the mercy seat. The mercy seat is in the center of the top of the ark to show you that the thing that should be most protected and that's the most holy thing in the holies of holies is the mercy. Mercy is to be, what does mercy mean? Having compassion, in the midst of God's law, being under it. On top of the law was compassion. And whenever God's Shekinah cloud came onto the holiest of holy, it descended down on top and it says, and God would speak to the high priest and and would speak to Moses sometime where? On the mercy seat. Because even though he was anointed as a prophet, he still needed mercy to talk to God. Y'all not going to talk back to me. And when there was Yom Kippur, and, he had the, and, and the high priest had the rope tied around him because nobody was going in to get him if he dropped dead, he would sprinkle blood, not on the law, not on the cherubim, but on the mercy seat. See, 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 when he says we've neglected so much, we've neglected justice and we've neglected mercy. We have to be more of a merciful community. Our hearts should break. Our hearts should break. Because remember, the Ark of the Covenant is a copy of what heaven is like. And so God gave us the holies of holies as a way to show how God's holiness is protected and how important it is and how he dwells in unapproachable light covered by cherubim himself. And now in Christ, the veil was torn from top to bottom to give full access to the holies of holy. And that's why we go to the throne of grace where we receive mercy. And guess what? As, we, as that happens now, you, you don't go to a place for holiness anymore. Now you are the tabernacle of the holies of holies. That's a reflection of the eternal reality of God. What does that have to do with anything? Everything. Because if we're going to do justice, and if we're going to be merciful, and if we're going to walk next in faithfulness, we need to recognize that change starts with the heart being transformed by the gospel. God not giving you what you deserve. That means that when you, when you show mercy, that means you don't look down on anybody. Oh, y'all, y'all ain't going to talk back to me. See, I need a Pentecostal. See, listen, let me tell you something. See, 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 this, this is the problem. See, see, you, you and I, it's easy to be unmerciful when you don't remember why you needed mercy in this first place. See, some of y'all, see, some of y'all, see, some of y'all sitting there like this. I don't need no mercy. Let me tell you something. 
Every last one of us needed mercy. The only reason you're sitting here is because of mercy. The only reason you're experiencing forgiveness is because of mercy. And if it had not been for God's goodness, if it had not been for God's grace, if it had not been for his might in the work of Christ, where would you be? Listen, you can't give to nobody else what you're not experiencing yourself. And some of you need to take a trip back down memory lane of how raggedy and prideful and sin-filled you were and are. And how God every day lets you breathe his air, drink his water, sit down on his seat, get on his bus, get in his car, and get under his roof. Listen, what does that have to do with justice? Everything. Because justice must recognize that that could have been me getting the full wrath of God, but God being rich in mercy. Do justice, do mercy, and faithfulness. 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 That's God willing you, ah, God willing you to be consistent over and over and over again. It's a God empowered. Why, why is it neglected? Why, why faithfulness is neglected. The reason why it's neglected is because we don't draw on the source of faithfulness. And when you don't draw on the source of faithfulness, recognizing that God is faithful even when we're not. And so when, when, you, when you realize that God has taken care of you and that God is the one that actually does this whole thing, you're gonna, like when you get to heaven one day, this whole thing is like a racket. You know why? Because you're gonna realize for real, for real, you didn't save yourself. You're gonna see in 4D what you really got forgiven of. And you're gonna, you're gonna be rocked as you look at God's presence that you're standing in and look at what you did that you're allowed to even be there. That's number one. N number two, you're going to realize that nothing in your life you've ever accomplished was ever accomplished by you. Yes. And then you're going to be given rewards. And you're going to be like, what am I doing with this? And you're going to join the 24 elders and you're going to take off your diadem and you're going to frisbee it over to the feet of God, knowing that everything that I have, everything that I am, everything that I will have, everywhere I am has been given. <laughs> and guess what? Guess what? You're gonna be standing there besides police officers who got saved and they killed some black people. Mm. See, this is the hard part. There's some saved, you're gonna die not having repented of everything. 
So if you're going to die not having repented of everything, then you're saying Jesus' death is not sufficient for the oppressor either. Mm. See, that's, that's too, see. See, and you got to take that up with God. Because listen, we're going to be in heaven eternally worshiping with people unlike us. And so you might as well get used to it. That we have to, in reality, recognize that the might of the gospel, and listen, you're just, we are blacks. We're just as sinister. See? If you don't get that, if you don't get that, you don't get the gospel. Listen, you are just as sinister as your oppressor. Some of y'all going to look at me and you don't believe it because you listen to too many pan See, you're teaching me to worship the oppressor. We ain't worshiping the oppressor. You're just as messed up as the oppressor. The oppressor just had the power in this life to live out the fullness of his depravity. So anyway, I'm praying that God will revolutionize our thinking, our hearts, and our thoughts, and that we as the church won't punk out when it comes to justice, and when it comes to mercy, and when it comes to helping and serving, not just our people, we have to serve all people so that this reality would implode as Christ returns, who will finally, functionally put racism in its place. Father, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. And um, you, like you forgive, and it's unbelievable to me, God, that you have forgiven us, forgiven me for my hypocrisy. I know that I have areas that you gotta dig into, all of us do. But in knowing you, Jesus Christ as savior, that, I mean, the promise is that you will. So I, I get to engage it with hope. That's what being a believer is, God, engaging our sin with hope. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your confidence in the God of heaven. Jesus Christ came to die in your place. Why? Because you and I deserve eternal death and separation from him because we're born with it. We're not born nice. As cute as a baby is, it's a cute sinner. And begins life from conception. Life begins at conception, begins with the need for salvation. Jesus Christ came through immaculate conception, not getting the blood type of his human father where the sin nature of Adam would have been passed down to him. (laughs) And he came and lived a life we could never live and died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, a perfect, he's perfect in all his ways. God placed all of our sin, motives, sicknesses, 
irrationalities on the Lord Jesus Christ. Allowed him to be murdered by his creation, yet that murder was a priestly aromatic expression of the forgiveness of sin. And on Saturday, <laughs> Jesus Christ proclaimed freedom to the captivities, those captive in paradise. And they awakened and began to go around the city proclaiming Jesus. And on the third day, Jesus got back into his body and it was transformed into a glorified body. He got up with a new outfit on, folded up what he used to have on, set it on the place where he, used to, where he, where he laid, and the angel opened the tomb and salvation is offered. If you're here today,